Thank you very much to all of our uh, testifiers. Um, my first question is for uh, Ms. Wong. Uh, you know, our last testifier talk made reference to trauma. And it seems to me that we have to act with absolute determination, understanding that moments come and go, and that although we all seem to be in agreement that we need to move forward, that could vanish quickly. You, know, you just never know. And the federal government moves slowly, and so we want to make sure that they um, feel the impetus and feel the motivation and have the resources to go. But it also occurs to me that we have to do this properly, that in our uh, determination, that can't turn into haste. Um, certainly, I've learned as, as a non-Native Hawaiian residing in Hawaii for 47 of my 49 years that I know entering a space or starting a project, going into someone's home, starting a meeting in the wrong way can set a tone that is almost impossible to reverse. And so the question I have for you, Ms. Wong, is in your experience, are there best practices when it comes to attempting to reconcile personal trauma and broader community harms? In other words, how do we do that part of it right and not just start to conduct listening sessions and maybe re-traumatize people without a path forward? Mr. Chairman, you know, there's a, a, the trauma-informed aspect of this. There's the healing-informed aspect of it. And then there's the thriving-informed, which is to say that especially in government uh, kinds of projects, uh, even initiatives that have as much um, requirement as this particular initiative has, which is to say that the boarding school opening up the conversations that may be possible with boarding schools uh, may be a once in a generation opportunity to pivot the entirety of the relationship that the United States government has with the native peoples of this country. And because of the possibility of that pivot, that uh, you, need to actually move forward, not only with care, but with, I would say, some differentiation. And by differentiation, I would say that there is the, you recognize that there are different levels. There's a level of the individuals, which would include the, uh, the survivors, as well as the descendants, as well as the native people's uh, who were not actually uh, accounted for in the boarding schools, but essentially uh, were uh, cast into the diaspora. And so they are no longer a part of any peoples that are certainly recognized uh, by the federal government and may actually be dislocated by hundreds of thousands of miles, thousands of miles, uh, from the, their homeland and they show up. They'll show up in a community center or they'll show up um, in a mental health clinic or they'll show up uh, someplace and they'll say, I remember that I am of these people, whatever those people may happen to be. 
So there's the levels of the individual. Uh, there's the institutional, both private and public, uh, for which an accounting is required, and also a new narration that is brought forward. And then there's the cross-community conversations that would include non-natives and would be best done on an individual basis. So this would be on a relational basis, the people that you know and the people who know the people that you know. So uh, designing this differently and to actually implement it um, almost at the same moment, but not to use the blunt sword of, a, I, I consider a, a, a public hearing to be a blunt sword. So you can't settle for the usual. Uh, the public hearing that would have certain testimonies and that would have people that would have a time limit and things of that sort. That cannot be uh, the, the where all of the focus happens to be. Every person and descendant needs a way to be seen or heard, be it in community or on an individual basis. And some massive national effort will actually resolve um, many things if that is done in concert with this particular effort. I would also say that support teams who are going to be used for this are going to experience their own trauma and they will need ways uh, uh, to deal with that and to deal with it in ways that are appropriate um, to their culture. Um, there is a narrative that is embedded within this country that has reverberated to this day. And so unless that narrative is rewritten, a new story is written, then these efforts will remain just within the government sphere of things. So I would say that, that it is useful for uh, the United States government to change its ways. But in the, if your neighbor who is non-native is, is not included in the new narrative and is, doesn't have a way forward, then I don't think much will change on the ground for the, um, for the peoples of this place. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to ask one last question, and I think it's yes or no. Uh, Ms. Whitehawk, do you think that this commission should have subpoena authority? Thank you. I don't think she was mic'd up, so for the record, that was a yes. Yes, I do, absolutely. Perfect. Senator Murkowski. Thank you, Ms. Chairman. Um, Ms. Medicine Crow, I, I want to ask a question about how we are defining or the criteria used to define um, federal Indian boarding schools. And, and uh, Chief Francis, you kind of alluded to this, I think, at the end of your statement. But um, certainly in Alaska, we know that many of the boarding schools were affiliated with religious institutions. Apparently, in Interior's report here, they say that approximately 50% of federal Indian boarding schools may have received support or involvement from a religious institution, and that further, the government at times paid religious institutions and organizations for Native children to enter federal Indian boarding schools. Um, so we have we've identified 21 schools in Alaska that we're calling federal Indian boarding schools. 
but really as we look at how big the state is and the role of religious institutions in these boarding schools, I kind of feel like that that number might be low. So would you care to comment on whether you think the, the Interior Department's criteria is adequately capturing the federally supported schools that we see in Alaska and elsewhere? Um, are there, is there perhaps a better way to define federal Indian boarding school? And then when you've, when you've responded, maybe I'd ask you, Chief Francis, to, to comment on the same. Go ahead, Liz. Uh, Ganesh Chish for the question. Uh, yes, I think that um, what I even read within the Department of Interior's report acknowledges that their criteria was really limited. And as a result, we don't quite know uh, how many actual boarding schools were in Alaska. Uh, right now, um, you know, we know from their report there were 21, as you stated. Uh, but they also acknowledged that there were over a thousand different institutions across the country that did not fit that criteria, and so they did not include it in the report. We know in Alaska that the orphanages, the boarding homes, uh, were also uh, subsidized by the federal government. Um, churches in their own right um, took it upon themselves uh, to define areas in Alaska um, during uh, a convening, um, they came up with what we know today as the comedy plan, where the different churches sectioned up Alaska and each took a certain region of the state. And through that comedy plan, those churches enacted their own efforts um, to uh, assimilate our, our Native children. And understanding the relationship between the churches and the federal government in that role is critical, and I believe will come out through this commission process. So from where I stand today, I do not think that we have an accurate number yet of the institutions that were in Alaska. The other thing that I think is important to note is that a lot of Alaska Native children were sent out of state mm -hmm. to boarding schools down south, and we do not yet know the number of those children sent to these boarding schools or orphanages or, in one instance, um, there's another institution in Oregon called the Morningside Institute where um, mentally ill Alaskans were sent. A substantial number of them were Alaska Natives and a number of them were Alaska Native children. And so figuring out this entire kind of ecosystem of assimilative process is really critical. Um, and I think that a very strict and narrow definition uh, will limit our ability to really know the full story. I appreciate the detail to that. Uh, Chief Francis, do you agree that perhaps this definition is just too limiting, too narrow? Yeah, I think, um, I think so. And I think, um, as I stated in my testimony, you know, the, the four criteria used in, in Interior's definition is much broader than, than the bill. And I think this is why a solid, robust um, consultation process throughout this is going to be extremely important to understand what each tribal communities or each region's experiences were. There were many ways that um, our children were affected by boarding schools, not just in the federal system, but a lot of, um, and what we found in our truth and reconciliation process um, in Maine was we started the conversation about child welfare, and then that child welfare conversation went into 
people's experience as children in the Catholic Church. We were raised, or whatever it may be. So it, it broadened the. It will inevitably broaden to a whole host of historical trauma things related to um, the educational system uh, for children. You know, we look at the state of New York, for example, we know there's three boarding schools there that are not considered federal boarding schools, even though at periods of time throughout their history, they receive significant federal funding. So I think it's going to be um, extremely important to get that definition right. And I think uh, through a robust consultation process, um, the commission can understand, begin to understand um, the diversity of of institutions that contributed to these atrocities for Native kids. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Lujan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. The United States poured enormous resources into federal Indian boarding schools. By comparison, the federal government has invested less than $400 million uh, in recouping the very Native American languages it tried so hard to eradicate through these policies. Now, Mr. Chairman, it's my understanding that we still don't have an estimate into how much was spent by the United States into federal boarding schools, but I'm hopeful that we can get that number so that when there's comparison, and some may try to suggest that it's too expensive to support these initiatives, that people are able to take a look at how much was spent trying to take people's lives away, take language away to hurt people. Uh, so I'm hopeful that we can work towards getting that number as well and finding ways to support initiatives like the Esther Martinez Immersion Program. Now, to each of the witnesses, uh, yes or no, but if you care to ex uh, expand, I I'd appreciate that as well. Uh, my question is yes or no, in keeping with the initiative's recommendations, should Congress make bold, substantial investments in Native American language immersion, preservation, and maintenance programs? Chief? Uh, absolutely, Senator. Thank you for that. And, and the, you know, I don't know if we'll ever be able to quantify the cultural damages from from that era, but um, certainly every year it should be the follow up. When we talk in the testimony about the follow up being important to a commission report, it's it's critically important that we're having a budgetary conversation every year about addressing the cultural damages to tribes, language preservation, um, historic preservation. But ultimately, it's going to be the Native communities that are going to be left to deal with um, the Commission's report and what that, um, it'll inevitably open old wounds. It'll, it'll be a difficult time and the communities are going to have to be able to support that historical trauma treatment. And so, unfortunately, resources are going to be a huge part of that success. President Whitehawk. Yes, I was thinking that there probably wasn't a discussion of the cost to try to eradicate the language. It would probably make sense that, um, and for sure it would make sense, that we would, Congress would invest in what it took to restore what was taken. We often hear in our, our communities, people say, our, we lost our language, and, and I say, no, we didn't lose. We, it was taken. Oh. This was not something we did to ourselves. It was taken by. So it, it would make sense, and I would support that. And as uh, Chief um, Francis said, that it will open up 
uh, wounds, but in order for us to heal, we need to air out those wounds and replace them with the medicines that we have within our ceremonies and with our songs, along with uh, our mental health professionals that can help us as well. But most importantly, what was taken from us, which is our songs, our life ways, that it will bring the healing when our wounds are open from that. Uh, there was an elder that was one of my teachers, my most influential teachers in my life, and he said, we are a people that are well acquainted with grief. And I've watched and, and seen that as we've gone into communities and listened to experiences and watched healing take place. I heard um, Chairman Schatz mention possibly of triggering our, in, our, our relatives, but... I don't even like to use that word trigger because a trigger's on a gun. Why, why are we using violent language, you know, possible language that leads to violence that it does remind us, but there is a, uh, something that happens when the truth is spoken. It changes minds and changes hearts and gives strength to the individual who is being heard possibly for the first time in a way that will validate their experience. It's, it's, an incredible process to watch. I've been privileged to, over the last 20 years, witness healing circles, truth circles, and it is, um, it is definitely the way we need to be. And as a commissioner in Maine, uh, Chief Francis was right. We, it, everything led back to boarding school, everything, because that's where the first disruption took place of our families, of our communities, of everything. So in restoring that uh, begins that healing process. Most of all, it validates, I can't say it enough. I think of my own brother sharing what he's finally willing to a little bit to talk about and what he endured and what my other relatives endured and hearing it and, and shaking your head, singing a song. When that wound originally happened, nothing was there. They laid there in bed at night with nothing. And so hearing it, recounting it, and, and uh, the relatives being around, that's the healing process. And from that, those that are listening can use their gifts and skills to say, well, we need to do this to address this in our community. This would be helpful as we move forward. Our young people will take that next step for us as they would listen and hear. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, President Medicine Crow, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. And Ms. Wong, uh, yes or no? Yes. I appreciate that. Mr. Chairman, my, my time has expired, but I have other questions I'll submit into the record. Thank you for the time today, and thank you again to uh, each of the witnesses for your courage and for being here today. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Lujan. I'll now recognize the Vice Chair for any uh, closing remarks she may uh, wish to provide. Mr. Chairman, I, I want to thank I want to thank those who have come before the committee um, for your testimony today, for your input, um, and for your your advocacy for for so many, um, knowing that it is personal for so many of you. And uh, I I would commend Mr. Chairman as as this committee is looking further into this investigation and the reports and what will follow on, that what First Alaskans Institute has, has put in place with your, 
with the tribunal and the summit on, on, on boarding and, and residential schools in Alaska, um, this process that allows for the stories to, to be heard, uh, to provide for this source of healing, is, is something that um, hopefully others can look to as, as a process, as a, um, I won't, I, I hesitate to call it best practices, but I think oftentimes we look, where, where do we start? Where do we begin? How, how can we allow for a safe space for the sharing um, and knowing that it, it, it won't just be words into a room, but that by sharing, uh, that that healing can begin. And I, I, I do, I do um, recognize the, the heart that has gone into the effort uh, by First, First Alaskans and, and how in our state we are, are beginning that, those slow steps, those initial steps. There's much to be done, um, but I think we saw from, uh, from those that have shared today that, that we are in the beginning uh, in those beginning steps. So much work to do, and I appreciate the committee's attention to this. Thank you very much, uh, Vice Chair Murkowski. I want to thank all of the testifiers uh, for their incredible testimony, of course, but also their important work going forward. This will be the beginning of an ongoing process. There's no doubt about that. Um, it is important to remember that our government did this and that we... Um, like to think that only other governments in other places far away implemented such atrocities. And it is literally hard to fathom that the United States Department of War and the United States Department of Interior removed children from their homes and punished them physically and abused them mentally and sexually. And some and many died. Um, this was an important first step. Um, and we're going to stay on this. Um, all of the committee members are committed to this. I know the secretary is. And we will work with you, nothing about you without you, um, um, to make sure we get this right. Senator Hoven. Mr. Chairman, if I could, I would like to ask uh, Ms. Whitehawk one question, then I could submit other questions for the record as well. And that's just as president of the National uh, Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. Um, are, you know, what are the next steps that you feel um, should be taken following the release of this first volume of the study that was done? Until we hear our communities speak their experiences, that will define our next steps that we will take. Okay, very good. Thank you, and, and again, Mr. Chairman, appreciate the witnesses being here, and, and we'll submit some questions for the record as well. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Hoven. If there are no more questions for our witnesses, members may also uh, submit follow-up written questions for the record. The hearing record will remain open for one month. I wanna thank all of the witnesses for their time and their testimony. And Mr. Fisher will now close this hearing.